It is a joy to be with you this morning. Thank you, Marvin, for, uh, you know, I admit there was a little bit of trepidation at giving you a handout that tells you our strength, uh, my strength, but uh, so go gentle with us. But I, one of the things that I observed is that when God calls a team of people together, he often calls people together who aren't the same. And it's in that not being the same that a fuller picture of his kingdom gets brought forth. And when we, we have, have laughed and talked about this, that, uh, uh, and that Clifton Strength Finder is not near the only one of these you can use. There are many others that help give a, a picture, and they're only partial pictures because we're really complicated humans. But uh, there, there are 34 strengths that they list, and the five of us, uh, the three of us pastors, none of our top five are the same. So we have 15 of the 34 covered in our top five. And there's something beautiful about that in that we could not have selected that if we wanted to. And so God in his providence knows. But thank you to our elders. Uh, Mike and Marvin are doing a good job at leading us through this process. And we look forward to more. Today is the final sermon in 1 John. So turn in your Bibles, copies of your scriptures, wherever you, whatever you use to 1 John 5. I want you to... Uh, Keep your finger in first, I mean, keep your, your copy open because we want to look very carefully at the passage. This is, um, John is, is, is not like Paul, and sometimes Paul ends his writings with these long conclusions. He knows everybody at all these places, so as to say, oh yeah, tell them hello yet, and tell them hello. John doesn't do that. Again, we think that, historians or scholars think that this is a sermon that John most likely preached somewhere, wrote out and preached, and then sent around. So uh, essentially the conclusion is one sentence. So the meat keeps coming as we go. Uh, And there have been these big themes throughout 1 John uh, that we've preached for the last, I think, 12 or 13 weeks. Uh, First of all is fellowship and how we relate to each other and how we relate to the world. There's also something about sin. How, how do we handle sin? Uh, there's a lot in, this, in these books about light, or in these chapters about light, and a lot about love. I'm going to, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to essentially treat uh, verses 1 through 12 as maybe a preamble or kind of a, a summing up of what we've covered. And then uh, 13 on, we'll, we'll dive into a little more carefully. Um, so it doesn't mean the first part isn't important it means that there's a lot of themes in those first parts that we've already covered and then John kind of has a snippet at the end that I think is important for us to understand I I will make a few comments but let's read together 1 John 5 or I will read it to you and you follow along everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? 
This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who, has been, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Now, uh, there is a lot in this, in this chapter. Let's just uh, briefly look at this first uh, 12 verses, then we'll dive into the other one more. I, I just want you to hear these words again from verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So, who is it that believes that, that Jesus Christ has been born of God? His followers. So, I, I do not think it, I think it is possible for people to believe that Jesus Christ was, but when you wrestle with the claims of Jesus Christ saying, I am the, I am the son that was sent into the world to save the world, when you wrestle with those claims and you, and you I, I, don't, I don't know if it's possible for someone to say that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the son of God who came to save the world from sin, and not, not at some way wrestle and embrace that. Uh, I actually think that in, in, in John's world, it was much more black and white. There are the people, uh, the Romans believed all these deities and they were all born of Zeus and all these gods. So in order to be a god, you had to be born of God, of a god. And so Paul, uh, John is saying, this is the one who, who, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves Jesus. So you can't say you love God without loving Jesus. And you can't say you love God and not love His people. And you can't say you love the people truly unless you love God. 
And it's, it, it takes a great deal of effort to say, what's your love like? Who do you love? And do you embrace the fact that Jesus is the Son of God? See, if you embrace the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, then you believe he came to die for you. And that will change your life. It's about belonging. Then I, I want to just cover a couple things in verse 9. From about 9 to 12, he talks a lot about testimony. If we receive the testimony of men, he says, and that word testimony was, was also used for judicial evidence. So a court case. So if you believe the evidence of men, the evidence of God is greater. For this is the evidence of God that he is born concerning his son. So God is giving us the evidence that Jesus is. And this is all about setting out the fact that, God, that Jesus is, and you, you, if you want to be a follower of God, you have to embrace Jesus. Now, who is in John's audience that believes there is a God, but Jesus is not the Messiah? The Jews. And so he's speaking to both groups of people, the Romans and the Jews, and he's saying, you have to embrace Jesus. And when you fully embrace Jesus, it is impossible for you not to love because you understand how much God has loved you. So if you're struggling with love in your heart towards your fellow man, then you should pray and say, Jesus, show me how much you loved me. Because that will make the difference. Now, that's all the preamble. Now, um, I, I want to go to verse 12 and 13 here now. Or, sorry, 13 on. And I want to I just look at a couple things. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, who believes in the name of the Son of God? Remember, he's just been talking about this. Who be- is it us? Do you believe in the name uh, uh, of the Son of God? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you? Yeah, okay. So you're allowed to say it out loud if you do. Okay. Do you embrace Jesus? And there, there, you cannot, you, in John's world, you can't separate them. If you say you love Jesus, you're embracing Jesus, and therefore you're embracing the life of Jesus. And, and then he goes on and says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. Okay, so this is the confidence. I want to, I just, I want to focus on that and say, what, what is this confidence? This is the confidence that we have towards Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. This is one of those passages that has been bantied about. Just ask, and uh, you know, anything according to His will, He hears us. And, and that we, we use it to excuse all kinds of things we want sometimes. And, but, but I want to back up and say, this is, a, by the word, the word confidence means boldness. This is the boldness that we have towards Him. Who is the Him here? It's God. This is the boldness that we have towards God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now notice it doesn't say He answers us the way we want it to, but He hears us. He hears us. And this is in the... You don't need to... Well, you should know this. The word ask, that that if we ask anything, ask means to ask and keep asking. So it doesn't mean a one-time ask. You ask and then you stop asking. It's this kind of, God, I need... What about this, God? I'm asking you to change this. God, I'm... Ask. It's that continual asking. And, and the, so it's in the present tense. It's the confidence. We will keep having the confidence to keep asking. But it's also in the middle voice. And, and 
so that means the person doing the asking is asking on his own interests. You're asking for yourself. Okay, you're not you're you're asking for yourself. And it's important for us to recognize that we because what this does is it it, it makes it it, may, it helps us understand that we have needs that we need to ask for. Like, in, in the Western world, maybe, we have pretty self-sufficient lives that, that we can make work for ourselves. But whenever we get up against these things that are much bigger than ourselves, this is, the Scripture here is pointing us to the fact that we need to keep asking God to fulfill those needs. And they, they are varied many. I have family members who are not really walking with Jesus. I have... I have needs in my own life that need to change. God, change me. Why do I keep doing these things? Why do I keep getting angry? Why do, why do these things keep happening? Keep asking. And there are two things that are clear that will happen. He hears us. He hears us. Uh, last Sunday morning, I observed one of you. You are here. One of you and your child came. You were talk- busy talking and your child came. And you, you were so beautiful in your response. One of your parents. Your child came to you and pounded on your leg. Right beside her. Hey, hey, hey. I'm not going to say dad or mom. But uh, the child came. And you stopped. And you said, I hear you. I hear you. Now, give me a minute to finish this. And then we can talk. Now, that's not God. But... But one of the things that we all crave deeply is to know that our voice is heard and that we are being heard. And this passage is saying, when you ask, you are heard. He hears you. He hears your requests. He hears your heart. He sees your heart. And he, and he believes in you. Now, uh, and we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. That sounds strange. Yeah, we do know. But it, it, it gives the idea that so he hears us, but he also understands our requests in a bigger picture. And so there are things that I have prayed for in my life that I have thought should happen in a certain way, and they didn't. They didn't. It didn't happen in the way I thought it would. But when I, stepping back, um, when, when there's some time removed, sometimes you can look back at those things and say, oh, I'm so glad they didn't happen the way I wanted them to happen. Because if they would have, it would have changed everything. And so we, in, as followers of Jesus, we, ha- we have the freedom, the right. He hears our voice. We bring it to him. But then we step away from saying, God, and we understand that he in his providence, he in his wisdom, understands better how those requests should be answered than we do. And, and I don't know what to do with... Uh, I, I, who preached about a prayer, unanswered prayer? Somebody here preached about... One of you lay brothers preached... Who was it? Mike Slaybaugh preached. Yes. Mike Slaybaugh preached about unanswered prayer. I still have those notes and I keep going back to them because there, there are some things in my life that I have prayed for for, for uh, 40 years. For instance, Narita and I have prayed for children for, for 32 years. We prayed, and nearly every day, for children and grandchildren. And we don't have them. What do we do with that? There are times when it's it, 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 almost easy to lose, to lose our faith in those 
it seems small, but it isn't small. It's big. And, and so, but we keep asking because when we keep asking, it keeps our hearts open. And the Father hears us, keeps us in communication with God in a way that keeps us... So, so he, he doesn't just become the magic person that answers everything we want. But he in his providence, he in his understanding knows that there is something about this. And uh, we're going to be able to someday look back and it may take us getting to heaven or, or into the afterlife because I think we'll have clear understanding there. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. And suddenly at some point in the future, we're going to be, I'm going to be able to look back and say, oh, oh my goodness, oh my, oh, oh. And I have to have faith that God is big enough to be that kind of God. That is the most powerful thing that the people of God can do is to keep walking with Him when life doesn't fit the way we think it should. He hears us. And by the way, the, the, the words there, and we know that, and if we know Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. That word is, is a word that is different from merely knowing, like mentally knowing. It's, it's a realization or fullness of knowledge. And so we become, we become more sure. We become, it, it's, a real, it, it's a dawning realization. Oh, he's listening, but he in his providence knows better than we do. So, he hears you when you pound on his leg. He stops. He listens. He hears you. But he also knows something much bigger and grander going on. Now, the second thing um, I want to look at is the next passage. Now, okay, they're not disconnected. So he's been talking about asking for something. And now he's saying, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. Ask. Wait, he's just been talking about asking. So they're not disconnected. This idea of us asking God for something is connected to us asking for it in light of our brothers and sisters and the people around us. If anyone sees his brother or sister, uh, that's Philadelphia, which means brother or sister, committing a sin not leading to death, that person shall ask and God will give him life. Now, who does God give life to? The person asking or the person sinning? It's important to define that. This is a powerful passage that we don't often talk about. It's when I see Reuben doing something... I pick on Reuben. When I see Reuben doing something he shouldn't, I, it, it, the Scripture, this passage, along with passages in James and other places, give the indication that I can pray for forgiveness because I know Reuben's heart is to eventually, if God reveals those things to him, he will repent. And I can pray and bring a sense of life to Reuben. Doesn't mean I shouldn't go to Reuben at some point, but it means my first step is to go to God and say, God, forgive my brother or my sister for doing what they're doing because that's not who they are. So this is about knowing each other well enough to say, I'm going to pray for them when I see them acting in a way, um, it, and it's very clear, if anyone sees 
his brother committing a sin not leading to death. We'll look at that not leading to death. Committing a sin. Let's just take that other portion out. He shall ask and God will give them life. It is the, 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 the person getting the life is the person committing the sin according to the structure of the sin. So it's not you do get life for asking, but it is the person committing the sin. What does that do to our theology? Uh, It moves us away from being this kind of individualized persons with no connection to each other into a group who sees each other and sees the brokenness of each other and says, "I'm I'm going to actually not overlook that brokenness, but I'm going to take that brokenness to God and ask God to bring healing to my brother or sister. And there is something so beautiful about that because it means that we are carrying each other's burdens and shame and sin. Now, uh, he, doesn't st- he doesn't stop. He says to those who commit sins, so he qualifies it, to those who commit sins that, that, that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. Whoa, boy, what is that? I do not say that one should pray for that. So there is a sin that leads to death. I do not, I do not say that one should pray for that. So, so how do we figure this out? Because how do we know which one is which? How do we know which one to pray for? Uh, by the way, back up to the passage and, and look at If anyone sees, that's the verb, that's a verb there, sees, looks at, sees, his uh, uh, brother or sister uh, committing a sin. That, that is not present tense. So, in other words, the, the sin is not ongoing. It's, it's, it's eras tense, which means he sees it happen once. Which is important. Uh, now, it's hard... I tried to do the structural work in, in Greek, and I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but what the, what the passage in its original does, it gives the idea that, 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 that the sin that leads to death is any sin that a person is unwilling to repent of when you are made aware of them. And you keep doing them again and again and again. Does that make sense? So the first... When you see somebody commit a sin, your first inclination should be to say, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But when they wake up to what they're doing and are unwilling to repent, that is what the sin is that leads to death. An unwillingness to repent is ultimately the sin that leads to death. So if there is someone in, these, in, in our circle who is unwilling to repent of any, whatever. We should not pray that they'll be allowed to keep living in that sin. We should actually say they are unwilling to repent. And, and, and by the way, the New Testament is also quite clear that churches should take action to, towards people who are unwilling to repent. And so if you're unwilling to repent... Please help, let us help you repent. And this doesn't mean, okay, so I'm struggling with something and I fall away and then I'm, I'm honest about it. And I, it, it is, it's much bigger than that. It's when we deliberately turn our back onto the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and say, I am not listening to that. I'm going to walk away from that. 
That is the sin that leads to death. That's the only way that these passages, this one and the one in James and a few others, make any sense at all. It is when a, it is when a person deliberately walks away from the saving power of Jesus Christ in their lives. Not the, not the perfection, not perfection, but the saving power, the redeeming power of Jesus in the sins of, of their life. And, and for that, we shouldn't keep asking when a person lives like that. And, and again, I focused on the sin here because I, I think we've misunderstood this passage. But the focus in the passage is more on us who are doing the asking. And, and the focus on the passage is that you protect your brothers and sisters by when you see them doing something they shouldn't, to, to pray for them. Does that make sense? Like We have to make sense of these passages. These are here for us to live today. And if, if we can simply excise the passage and say, well, it doesn't work for us. But I think it's bigger than that. I think that we, we maybe have become so individualized that it's hard for us to understand what it looks like that, that we're willing to actually put our, put our asking onto the line for our brothers and sisters. It's like uh, Abraham. This is the greatest example I know. Abraham and Lot, when God comes down and says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham struggles with that and says, God, would you for a hundred people? And it's this kind of whole process where God narrows out for ten people. And there are not even ten there. But God still saves Lot and his two daughters and his wife because of Abraham's asking. And he wants us to be the same way for our brothers and sisters. God, God, you know, you know better than I do about what's happening in Chris's life. So God, please bring, bring him to a place of repentance in that area. It means that we care and love each other. It, I think this is the truest form of love there is when we're willing to do this. And again, this is not talking about sinners and people who aren't walking with Jesus. It is talking about people within the body of Christ. Now, he closes the book. Well, he says, then, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is, a, there is sin that does not lead to death. He comes back to that and says, all wrongdoing is sin, but, there, but when you're willing to repent of that sin, that doesn't lead to death. Now, verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he, or they who are born of God, but he who is born of God protects him. Sorry, I, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. In other words, when we're reminded of what we're doing, we stop sinning. But he who was born of God protects him. Who is the one born of God? Jesus. Jesus protects us. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God. Think about the audacity of this. We are from God. We are born from God. We are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is a fascinating portion because he says, the whole world lies in the, in the power of the evil one. We are born of God, which is active. We're being born. We're born of God. 
And the whole world lies passive. They lie under the power of the evil one. And, and if I understand, well, the, the scriptures indicate this very clearly, that when Jesus came into the world, God, man created humanity for good. Humanity sins their way into existence in Genesis 3. And from then on, this world lies in the power of the evil one. When Jesus comes into the world, it is the D-Day for this world. And he is intending to take this world back and make it his own. And he, he has called us to be a part of that movement of taking the world back. The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. But we are born of God. And it is our call and our mission in the world to take back the those people from the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. This is not exclusively for the academics or the preachers or the Gnostics, those who think they're specially called and have special knowledge. This is the people of God. and So let's read it like that. And the people of God... Providence, and providence knows that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. Us, we, here today. So that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, those of you who have been born of God, Don't worship idols. Let's stand together.